Options activity has altered the investment landscape. Get an edge on this massive flow of funds with Tier 1 Alpha's Market Situation Report brought to you by Hedgeye. A daily newsletter of the latest moves in the options market and a weekly webcast featuring myself, Mike Green of Simplify Asset Management, and Tier 1 Alpha's Craig Peterson and David Pegler. Go to hedgeye.com research for more information. Hi, I'm Hedgeye's founder, Keith McCullough. If you like what you hear, you will love our investing research. We bring transparency, accountability, and actionable investing ideas to investors big and small. I'll put our investing process and team up against anyone in the world. Please visit hedgeye.com to subscribe and learn a better way to invest. All right, good morning. Interesting times we live in. I got the BSM going this morning, the broadening, the squeezing, the mooning. I got all sorts of moonbeams and Shibu Inu crap in the early look. Uh, with all that and all the pumpers out there, don't forget that the these people haven't gone away. All the fraudsters fully loaded. That said, we're long at uh, crypto being in Bitcoin. But today uh, is one of the many month-end markups that you'll get in, in crypto. It's completely illegal, but um, they're, they're fine for now. Uh, but we want to take advantage of that and sell into that, into the month-end markups. So again, if you're long anything that's Bitcoin, sensitive on the equity side or as i said on the crypto side or the bitcoin side they get very sensitive the cray craze if i don't di- differentiate between bitcoin and crypto uh just 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 sell some that's that's it it's just another they're just tickers okay uh howard good morning i don't know howard i'll go to uh we'll go from moonbeam crazy shibu inu eyes to buying some clorox how about that Maybe you need Mark. maybe you need some Clorox if that's your that's the lifestyle you live in a van down by the river, eh? Yeah, yeah. They, they have some uh, they have some interesting products that they uh, they debuted. Um, innovation is part is part of it. Um, you know, for that van down by the river, they they had a new product where you uh, spray the air. So for anyone who's still a germaphobe, that, that's going to sell. I think um, an air spray, like you know, just <laughs> I think that's going to be part of the hockey tournament uh, hotel. <laughs> package it is um, i mean I, I you know i have friends who lived in live uh, or lived their parents lived in trailer parks i got nothing against them it's just that it, it's a way of life right like if you're if you're trying to get ga- it's gambling right that's why a lot of millennials and um gen z say only invest what you can lose like it's all the stupid shit right uh for people that if you're just a student and it's your parents money why not roll the bones on all of it why don't you slap some laser eyes on and run around the trailer um, but you know, that, that notwithstanding, there are like real things to invest in, right? If you live in a trailer down by the river, you need some Clorox. Yes. And so that, that one, I think we just, just added, uh, on the list Monday on the long side. Um, I do have some actions today, so I'll go through them. So grocery outlet ticker geo, they reported EPS of 18 cents, two cent beat. Um, same source sales were 2.7%, but they previously outlined, uh, they're doing, um, a, like an ERP implementation kind of screwed up some things so that cost them about 200 basis points you know gross margins were flat but that technology thing impacted them by 130 basis points so pretty good results they also guided to a dollar 14 a dollar 20 uh, consensus the dollar 14 you know this is the first time in a little, little while where they've you know raised uh you know guidance above where the consensus was for the out year so they're feeling good i think in this stock i have not had a great uh makes it you know tick but I think this could be part of it. So that they just announced this acquisition, right, of uh, a 40-store 
competitor um, in the Southeast. So it's going to open up a new market for them. And it's going to really give you that visibility of this 10% store growth. So I think that might be the thing which unlocks the multiple is that, you know, Street will get a little more confidence in their store expansion plans at being 10%. Uh, so I, I think that that could be it. So grocery outlet, the results itself were good. Uh, nothing, nothing can play there, but that's, it's always sort of steady because it's um, sort of a, a franchised supermarket. It doesn't have the, the regular volatility of a grocer, which is, isn't that volatile anyway, but so grocery outlet, I think, uh, I think we can see that multiple. Well, the one that's kind of a bigger deal was Perigo uh, for me. So I, I know people probably hate me talking about this. Um, you know, I, I hate bringing up that they had another disappointment. I went through a little bit yesterday, but you know, on the call and with, you know, a- after the call um, where I'm coming out is what what's happened is the company is implementing some process changes at its manufacturing plant, which means, you know, they, they, they're cha- sort of changing holistically how they approach, you know, the cleanliness uh, of the plant, you know, that it's just, it's not just like a new piece of equipment. It's the whole process, you know, how they enter the factory, et cetera. So if you can think that very involved, it's a little time consuming, you know, you're not producing anything for a little while. What this reminds me the most is like what Chipotle had to do after the food scare you know, they don't just buy lettuce from a different farmer. They had to approach it entirely differently through the entire supply chain because they don't want to mess it up again. Well, that's the same thing for Perigo. They, they can't, they didn't have a food, uh, a problem, but the FDA has really cracked down on the industry and that sort of triggered this new approach for them. It doesn't mean the competitors are going to respond similarly, but for them, that's what it's going to be. Their new CEO is taking this approach fixing um, the, any issues that they see. And it's not like they're just in to see it. They can see in sort of, uh, you know, the efficiencies, how much product was produced that they kept, et cetera. So they know there was a, a problem to fix, but they didn't, they didn't poison any babies or anything. Um, so this is going to cost them in Q1. And then, you know, the, the sort of the costs are over and the rest of the businesses are fine. That's kind of what's lost in this. The stock got sort of slaughtered yesterday. But I'm I'm thinking this is where you just buy it. And, you know, I know it stinks. I know it, it makes me look bad or whatever. it makes the company look bad. But I think this is where you buy it um, because um, the, the business hasn't been impaired. It's the um, private label version of infant formula. So there's no sort of problem with the, the brand. There's no babies poisoned. It's just a process change that costs them money for a quarter. And I think it's conservative for the rest of the year. So uh, that's Perigo. I'm, I'm buying it. And then finally... Boston Beer, Ticker Sam, um, the results weren't that great. You know, it's on the short side for us. Nothing to really call out there. It's, it's seltzers, you know, continues to decline, but Twisted Tea is, is offsetting that. But at the end, you just still get a little bit of a decline. The, the news there is the CEO, Dave Berwick, the person who's really credited for their move into both um, hard tea and hard seltzer, is retiring and they're hiring someone from Nike, which Brian could, could speak to. I, when I talked to Brian last night, he said he's a very accomplished executive and it's a positive, but um, that's sort of the news on Sam, which is on our short side. And that's it. Dog's getting smoked. I think Sam's down about 12% here. Uh, so there you go. You got some of these raging pieces of shit are getting squeezed, but that's so that's the next part, right? I mean, don't forget that the short squeeze basket or the most rolling short basket, which 
uh, is the Goldman Sachs, you know, their prime brokerage knows what all their short positions, right? All their clients. So they, of course, they publish against their clients and show, you know, where their short positions are and names like Big Five, BGFE on the small cap side that's blowing up again this morning or Sam Adams. These things have been great fundamental research shorts. You just have to time them. So again, there's a reason why, you know, I wait and watch in real time alerts. So today into month end, I'll most definitely start adding some of these flaming POSs that could go to zero, uh, BGFV being one of them. Um, I'm sure Brian might, I'm sure Brian will get into that. Why would you say I'm sure he might? That just doesn't make sense, Mark. Get with it. All right, uh, Jenks. Hey, Keith. Sorry, it's Howard. I got on Go later. for it, Howard. Stay, oh, sorry. Howard, uh, hey, Howard, yeah, no, no, no. I'm Wi Fi. What's that? What time does the 745 game start? <laughs> Exactly. Oh, if I had Wi-Fi, I would have probably be, uh, been on time. So apologize for that. Um, definitely behind the process here this morning, though I did send you a email at four o'clock this morning, Keith. So um, about Kava. I'm sure you saw that. Kava. Yeah. You know, we're not talking about the family, the Kavas in uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario, great hockey family. We're talking about Kava, where my daughter and their, her teammates love to eat. Teenage girls <laughs> love it. Kava, the ticket. Yeah, so I just, I, just raging pieces of shit that are up this morning is beyond me to think it's up 60% this morning on, you know, nothing, frankly. The company is still shrinking. The retail side of their business is declining. They have no business in the restaurant industry. I, I still contend they have no business. So I just I just want to throw that out there. I, I've got a lot more, but I'll, I'm really behind this morning. But I, I heard you talking about raging pieces of shit. And that would be one of them. That's up a lot this morning. Well, well one of the uh, head traders on the name on the sell side, I mean, he's a friend of mine, was talking to me about it um, the other night. And he's like, a lot of mechanical issues with making a market in this name. So, you know, when you see a name, like at one point, like when I flashed it to Howard last night, I think it was up 77%. And I know it was because I wrote it down in my notebook. Because again, when you do this 6,000 days, trading days in a row, you get to see like rare birds once in a while, right? And so so you take a picture. Uh, <laughs> and again, that only happens if there's a complete, you know, structural mess in the trading system on something like that. But this thing, uh, when I every time you th- you think that this thing's gone, Howard, they bring bring you back in. So uh, <laughs> up sixty percent, sixty percent. I'll be. I know what to do with that. All right. Um, all right. Thank you. That's like what they Goldman would call a five hundred standard deviation move or something. Um, Jenks. Hey, good morning, Keith. I uh, went ahead on cruise lines and then PK. So just quickly. You're not on... going to start with where people can make the most money tomorrow, today? Like when? Like the button? You're not going to start with, you want to start with like PK? No, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to start with PK. I was going to start with cruise lines because people definitely, if they listen to our back and forth over the last 10 days, have definitely made money in the cruise line space. You've had two big catalysts come through. So I did want to just follow up on, on what happened yesterday, or at least our take on it but we could talk about win if you want nclh was up norwegian was up now we're talking that norwegian was up like 17 percent, i think yesterday yeah what the hell a little bit more than that yeah i mean i i think part of that big move i mean the stock was going to be up regardless i mean they had they had a decent print guidance was was solid and then importantly the the, the internals of the guidance were were actually so it's, there, there was a really nice surprise especially on the cost side but um i think it's more related to positioning I mean, most people 
um, that that do trade the space. Like Norwegian's been the laggard, so you probably just had more people piled onto one side of the boat with that one uh, being being short into the event. Um, I, I, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure figure that one out. But um, uh, the takeaway that I do have from 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 the print. Uh, yesterday and then sort of the investor materials in the conference call, which we did not have in hand when we spoke on the call, you know, really it's just more confirmation that the industry and and I guess more importantly, the narrative around the industry for much of the year to date has has been wrong. So, you know, they reiterated bookings pace continues to be strong, largely improving throughout the wave season period, this 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 important booking period that we have once a year. Uh, pricing on those bookings is elevated and really, the industry is in this situation where you have incremental demand exceeding uh, incremental supply. And so while supply growth is coming back, um, you still have this pent up demand wave that is playing through and likely should for you know the duration of this year. And then given the elongation of the booking curve, probably set up well for next year as well. So like I said, with with NCLA specifically, it's, it's probably more more tied to, to positioning around that name. Um, but, uh, you know, they did actually confirm on the cost side that basically people were, people were thinking cost, cost growth, poor cost growth was going to be about seven to 8%. They basically guided to, uh, under 4%. So that's a material change in the model. Um, it you know, it's, they're not getting as much juice because the revenue growth is going to be slower. Um, but, you know, structurally NCLH has been a, a, a big laggard in terms of being able to get their act together on the cost side. I actually messaged Felix because we've, you know, we had a couple of great short calls over the years on NCLH because operations wise, they've been a mess. But new CEO at the helm looks like he's he's ready to affect change real quickly here. I think, though, as we as we look ahead, you know, the, the they kind of pulled the big catalyst uh, forward with, you know, um, putting out the guidance like they did on the cost side. So from here, I think it's more about, you know, where the where the interesting revenue uh, growth stories are, which are with uh, RCL and CCL. And then I think on those two, you know, despite what NCLH is doing on the cost side, the margin expansion story and really the pod one and pod two stories are much stronger with with uh, with RCL and CCL, at least certainly relative to expectations and just from a rate of change perspective uh, versus versus the prior year. So still like those two a lot, um, would continue to focus on those uh, those two names rather than NCLH. But, you know, some good things came out of NCLH yesterday. And then just uh, just to wrap things up. On, on that one, you know, like just the dynamics, this is why of market structure and positioning defines like a lot of that. I mean, you it's, it was like you said, it's going to be up, but to be up almost whatever, 17 and a half percent. I mean, that means that, like, lesson number one, if you ever worked for me at a hedge fund as one of my analysts, we don't do pair trading, right? We don't do running neutral, you know? So what happened there is that most likely fundamentalists uh, and hedge funds are long CCL and short NCLH against it, and that's what happened. So they, you know, you know, five hedge funds cover NCLH, it'll be up 10% in a hot minute. So, and it's just, you know, we don't do pair trading. I mean, if you really have a natural pair, okay, maybe, I hope they're aces, but who the who the hell wants a pair of twos or threes? I mean, most most pairs suck. Um, just FYI. Yeah, I mean it's a tough way to grind out alpha. I know we 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 have a lot of clients that do it very well, but you do get these situations where you know something will 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 rip and implode right in your face when obviously it didn't probably didn't deserve to be up you know eighteen percent yesterday, but that's the the way of the I world. Think- you can do something very well uh, most of the time, but if you blow up, it doesn't matter what you did well most of the time. <laughs> so um, that's why I don't do Good that. Point. I take out the blow up factor risk. Anyway, uh, I like that. 
Uh, just on just on PK, so we're sort of rounding out the uh, hotel REIT earnings season. So Q4 was already in the bag because they had pre-announced in late January. Uh, guidance commentary, so guidance for the Q1 does imply accelerating RevPAR growth. Um, they do face easier comps than the industry. So a little bit different dynamic with PK in that the Q1 is implied to accelerate to 7% year over year from Q4's 4%. So decent acceleration as like I said, they face easier comps. But beyond the Q1, if we look at the guidance for the full year, it actually implies RevPAR deceleration back towards 4 to 4.5% growth. And actually, if you sort of take historical seasonality for their portfolio and look at Q2 through Q4, it looks like growth is going to go peak at around 7% and slow through uh, balance of the year to 3 to 3.5%. They're facing really tough comps in some of their leisure markets, in particular Hawaii, and banking on this return of the Japanese traveler uh, to come back to that market as the domestic business starts to slow, as people go go elsewhere and travel to different parts of the country and then and and abroad, uh, we're just not seeing that 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 catalyst um, as as it relates to PK. But um, I think more importantly on the EBITDA side, so their guidance at the midpoint was exactly in line with where consensus had it, and mind you, numbers have drifted lower uh, through the year. Um, but really, it's on the back of you know incremental cost growth. Is, is likely to erode a lot of the progress that they're guiding to on the rev par side, especially in the first half of the year. So for the year ahead, we have with with uh, with PK, you got slowing rev par growth, slowing total revenue growth, elevated cost growth, and thus they're guiding to margin degradation. And they tend to guide a little bit more optimistically than peers. So I just think you know if you if you don't want to be shorted, that's fine. I mean I think you know the momentum's been there on on just the hotel space broadly, but. From here, there's just way better hotel names to own. If you look at a name like RHP, which is REIT focused, is there is a REIT uh, or HLT or on the cruise side, like I said, RCL, CCL, or in Macau and Vegas. And I'll close it out here with that. Uh, more Vegas exposed would be MGM, but when capturing both the the Macau uh, exposure in, in China Beta plus plus the Vegas uh, exposure that they still do have, and numbers are way too low on Vegas. I was actually working through that uh, yesterday with a client. Um, so. Some a lot of other options out there. Uh, why buy the slowing growth stories uh, that don't have margin expansion? Buy the the opposite of those those factors uh, with the names that I just gave you. And that's one, it. One, one being the one I started with. Wynn has exposure to Las Vegas. Okay. Good, good. Uh, hotels, if you ask me, the signal's bullish trade and trend, and that's because we have GDP reaccelerating to quad two in May and through the back half of the year. So. Um, that is definitely going to be an, a bullish factor that hasn't been one for hotels for a while. Um, and then, you know, yeah. the markets sniffed that out very, very well. Um, cause you know, well, these, these are great shorts for a while. They're just, I don't think they are now. Um, or the signal doesn't, yeah. I, have, I have no opinion. I have no opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah. Working through that wrestling, wrestling with that right now. Cause you do have, you know, the cost side of things is going to be another big headwind, but, um, and you just haven't seen the acceleration, the pickup. I think you have in certain names, right, on the hotel side, but I'm trying to figure out if if you know the the the, the bull story on on Revpar is actually going to come to fruition, especially now that they've in effect guided to it, and now it's definitely in numbers, um, you know. But it's but it's offset by the fact that they're going to have another another bad cost year. So, a um, couple things to to sort of work through pros and cons with. But um, like I said, there's still names on the hotel side that we should like, but. Uh, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. 
Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Yeah, macro, you wouldn't see the acceleration. These two months, you're seeing deceleration right. in macro. Right. Um, you're going to see it in, in the future is the point. <laughs> um, is is And like yesterday's durable goods number, it was down 510 basis points. Durable goods is a major factor in the U.S. GDP calculation. Again, we thought numbers would slow against tough January and February comps, t- top-down macro. And we just had two of the worst you know, numbers that are big heavyweights in the GDP model being retail sales at 0.6%. Durable goods was negative 0.6%, down 510 basis points in January. That's that's the lowest level of durable goods in 42 months. And it didn't matter, okay? So again, understand that we understand and uh, keep going on here. It's on to the next play. The market's discounting the future, not what happened yesterday. Of course, yesterday's easy to understand. Um, all right, McGough. Yeah, good morning, Keith. I love when you talk about quad two coming down the pike. That's That's where I live. That's when retail trades well, and that's when my longs just explode. Uh, but we're not there yet. Um, and you mentioned Big Five, BGFV. This is a name we shorted at 20. The stock is now at five, um, and it is going to zero. I've said this many times on the call. I hope people have been paying attention. Uh, but this is one where even when we're in quad two and retail rips, this is one that's still going away. So if you are lucky enough to have uh, shorted big five when it was easy to borrow, uh, God bless you. Just hold on to it um, because uh, that company is going to be a bagel. Um Next one I want to hit on is um, I'm 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 going to speed date here if you're a bunch of tickers in very typical McGough style. Uh, but I'll only interrupt you once. But to be clear, uh, and 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 please don't cancel. I am a Catholic. Brian McGough is the only person in the world this morning blessing people to get a borrow. Um, go on. <laughs> Next one is Warby Parker W R B Y. We co-covered this one with Tom. Um, He covers EYE, which is one of Warby's competitors. Um, This is a company that's on our long bias list. And I'm I'm, I'm being very patient on this one. This is a really good tail long, but I'm waiting for my timing on this one. I'm waiting for the inflection in the pods. I'm waiting for the signal in order to get more bullish. The company missed slightly on EBITDA, um, but that's about where the bad news ends. Pods kind of leveled off a little bit. Um, they've been in a, in a decline for a couple of years. The problem with Warby Parker over the course of a couple of years and why we had been shorted for so long, and we pivoted on this one a couple of months ago, is that it was opening stores in very expensive locations, like on Newberry Street in Boston and on Fifth Avenue, like really expensive rents. And it sells a value product. You could buy a pair of eyeglasses there for $95. So it's it hasn't been opening stores where the consumer shops. Well, now it's got 225 stores. It's opening its next tranche of stores over the upcoming two to three years. I know that's an eternity. I get it. Um, but now it's opening in what we call B locations. Uh, like So it opened up first in A locations, really expensive uh, spots. 
And now it's going into more affordable real estate, gets better rent deals, and lo and behold, just happens to, to be opening stores where the customer shops. Um, so uh, you you can see a, 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 a really good path here over the course of a, of a multi-year time period. The stock is now down in the teens. Again, I'm going to be patient on this one. I'm going to wait for uh, our research call to evolve. I'm going to wait for the pods to turn. Even if I'm a little late on this one, I'll be patient because once it starts going, it's going to go big. Um, so that's Warby Parker, W-R-B-Y, long bias. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, I'm surprised that you're you're, you're not going to just wait for the signal first. I'm going to front run you on this one too, buddy. All right, knock yourself out, bud. <laughs> I, did, I did on uh, Beyond. I did on Carter's. Actually, Carter's at the loan of the range. I didn't. I did, and then I didn't. So there's one. Uh, we're waiting. Uh, definitely paid off. Uh, yep. I, I I don't mind being front run. Um, <laughs> not 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 one bit. Um, one name I want to call out this morning is IPAR, Interparfums, uh, which is the biggest uh, third-party manufacturer of fragrances in the world. In the world of beauty, the one category that has absolutely killed it over the past three years is fragrances. We've seen price increases every single year, 10 to 20% per year. Um, I've, I've been short this stock, a best idea short, and I've been wrong. Well, the, the company just put up their, their quarter this morning and it missed. So it finally missed. This company was smoking numbers every quarter by 30%. Um, and they just put up a miss, which is a big win. The stock's not down that much. It's kind of a liquid. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid to short this because it trades like a staple. We're still in an environment now where Daniel's names, staples trade trade well, Uh that won't be the case once we're in quad two. Um, but um, one in, important point, pod one here, revenue decelerated from plus 31 to plus six. That is a colossal deceleration in pod one and something you can't ignore. Um, so IPAR is, is one where if it went against me again this quarter, I would probably have punted it. But uh, I'm now going to stick with it. It's just a very expensive stock with the uh, decelerating pods, pod pod one and pod two. They tend to go in in uh, in hand in hand in retail. When you get the uh, sales coming down, you get the margins that delever and cash flow comes down. Um, so that is IPAR, I P A R, best idea short. Next one is Urban Outfitters, URBN. I'm kicking myself on this one because I had been shorted for about nine months um, along with my 75 other shorts, um, and it, it, it just didn't play out. I got half of the model right, which is Urban Outfitters, but Anthropology, which is the other half of its cash flow, had just been killing it. This company, so I, I booted it this past weekend. I took it off my list. I didn't have a variant edge headed in to this quarter. Um, I don't always have that on a given quarter. There's times I don't want it because uh, I don't want information I shouldn't have. I want to play the game fair and square. Uh, but the company did come out and miss. It wasn't an egregious miss, but it was a miss uh, nonetheless. So just want to be transparent, call myself out. I took this off just ahead of a miss, bad call. 
Um, and uh, it's one where we'll definitely revisit that. Um, if there's more pod one, pod two downside, I'll get back on it if the signal agrees, but I'm inclined to think the answer there is no. Um, next ticker is Revolve, RVLV. This is a name that is one of our best shorts of all time. Um, we've had a couple of doozies, but this one we shorted at 70, it's now at 17. Um, we uh, covered this name ahead of the quarter this past weekend, and the company came out and beat and had a pod one acceleration. So, and I, I and I believe that I know we we talked about a week ago, Keith, and you indicated that signal strength was looking good. So this is a good example where the signal sniffed it out in advance. Um, and uh, so the stock's trading up a little bit here this morning. Um, this is one I'm inclined to go long. I mean, this name trades. Uh, it, it, it's all over the place. There's no reason it can't go back to 70 again. If I have to be quote unquote late and jump on it at 22, if it rallies over the course of a couple of days, I'm willing to do that. I want to make sure I de-risk my downside here and ensure that this quarter was not a head fake. Um, but if you want to front run me, you, Keith, or you, the viewer, go ahead, knock yourself out, RVLV. Um, one of the big factors here on pod two cash flow and also pod one is that the company's return rate, um, like you you buy product there and then like you wear it and then you return it, like it's almost criminal, um, is 60%, six zero. It usually trends at about 50. If we and, and now we're about to comp the comp on this elevated return rate. So if that comes back down closer to 50, you see an acceleration across the board. Pod one accelerates, pod two accelerates, and your working capital gets a hell of a lot better. So pod three looks good as well. Um, and last but not least, I want to touch on TJX, which is a signal strength stock too. It has been, this is one of those names where it's not like, it won't make you rich, uh, but it's just going to grind higher. We went long this name at 60 bucks. It's now at 100. Um, and that was when the rest of retail was absolutely melting down. Um, it's a very defensive stock. Uh, the company comped the comp. Um, expectations were for mid-teens EPS growth on top of mid-teens EPS growth last quarter. So the top quarter this year with EPS growth uh, comped against the top quarter last year e e EPS growth. And the comps get easier as this year moves forward. So I think the punchline on TJX is people are going to be looking at five, $5.50 in earnings power. This name will get a 25 multiple on that easily. You get to $125, $135 stock. It's now at 100 bucks. Will that make you rich like a name like Beyond Will, which I think will be a three-bagger? No, it won't. But it's kind of like a Costco type name. It, it's just going to continue to grind higher over time. So we're sticking with that one. And that's all I got for you this morning, Keith. Making people rich, eh, McGough? I tell you. And uh, we have a lot of different kinds of subscribers. Um, but if your goal is through a, a stock pick to become rich, that's that's not what Brian meant. He meant that, that it has more upside, a lot more upside than, than TJX from here. Um, but if you want to maintain your hard-earned capital, let's start with that and then compound and continue to be rich, uh, you should do all the above and have a portfolio of these types of names. If it has a higher beta, uh, like Beyond, you'd have a 
smaller position than you can have in TJX because it has a lower beta. So in other words, if your max position in a single stock is 4%, uh, then you'd have 4.5% beta adjusted in TJX, and you might have 25 to 3 and beyond. Now, if you're a big swinger and a big hitter and you go with a 25% position like some people did in Playboy, you'll hate Brian for life at some point, and that's on you. All right? Um, so that's how not to be rich sometimes. So be careful. Be careful. There's a process to this. Process. We're going to keep working the bag here. We got these signal strength lungs. This is going to be a really good year. We're going to evolve here alongside everybody to make sure that they're getting that alpha, that purity of the alpha, that pure Canadian maple syrup. All right. Um, Tom. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Agile. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager-in-chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40-plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high-conviction long and short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe and tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Yeah, so Life Stance, uh, so a couple of things this morning, Life Stance, Patterson, uh, PDCO, uh, UHS, and a couple other things on earnings, but I'll just, I'll just hit on those quickly. Um, so Life Stance had had this uh, short report, Hindenburg, a couple of weeks ago, I guess. And when I read through it, a lot of the issues that were discussed were essentially, um, you know, exactly the same as what we had uncovered when we were short the stock. And the whole concept here is that you've got a guy who ran some of the biggest and I guess a changing reputation, but at least at the time, reputable managed care companies uh, around Ken Burdick and whatever. This was an unbelievably poorly run company that's now getting better run with a huge demand curve, right? So if they fix the problem, uh, there's a huge opportunity in the way the, the way the model scales in terms of how, the way I've built it is essentially on a, on a per clinician basis. So as long as they're hiring, everything's good. And what they put up for the, for the quarter was, you know, essentially a little bit better than my higher than average uh, estimate. So they're adding clinicians who bill hours. And then the other metric that you get is, well, how efficient are those clinicians? I was a little concerned that the December quarter after being weak in September, that, you know, maybe those hours weren't going to be as good that they didn't fill as many slots, but it was up 25 bips sequentially, which is really good. Um, and then they're, Guidance for Q1 looks looks very solid and EBITDA positive and free cash flow positive. And so this is a this is a broken story that's turning with a huge upside opportunity. And so I'm I'm really curious to see how it acts today. It calls in a few minutes. I'll, I'll be listening to that. But you've got this kind of incremental interest because Hindenburg had the short report out, which we we covered on a healthcare show a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then on Patterson, which was the exchange that you and I had over the weekend. Um, I went through the healthcare macro data set. I'm using this new tool that I built, essentially pointed at weakness in dental uh, and vet. <laughs> they got incremental weakness on equipment. They got incremental weakness in animal health. Um, the guidance is poor, so they're guiding down again uh, after they got it after they missed and sort of included the miss of, of their last quarter. 
uh, in the full year, they're ending April. They said, you know, the, the back half looks okay. Like we're, we're only taking it down to this. So now here's, here's an incremental, right? Like another, another incremental five cents. So it's getting lower, but the point here is that the miss is marginal, right? This is not like a falling out of bed uh, setup, but it is on a quad factor basis and on your signal, uh, very much a short, right? And here we have marginal weakness fundamentally sort of pushing the stock down and back into the mid twenties. And I think lower, you know, from a sensitivity analysis, you could get 22 is not an unreasonable price. And that's nice work for a couple of days, right? I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased with that. Pretty pleased with that result. And then I'll leave it. I'll let you go to Emily on this. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's typical Tobin commentary. I'm very pleased with that. I mean, it's like in a market that factor exposures like broadening squeezes, moonings, are going vertical on short sellers. I mean, any short that works, that's the equivalent in hockey to getting a couple goals a game from your fourth line. I mean, from the shorts. I mean, that's that's very good. It's called alpha. So well done on that. And well done in the UHS squeeze too on the long side. Yeah, that's what I was just going to get to. I'm not going to talk that much about that just because it's, this has always been a story about even these guys can win in this kind of environment. Um, <laughs> so, And here they are, right? And I had meetings last year where people were just like, well, don't you know? You know, don't you know this? Don't you know that? And this, that, and the other things. Like, yeah, I know these guys are goombas, and it, they <laughs> it, they have a tough time getting out of the uh, working their way out of the the earnings paper bag. And in this case, it's been a couple of quarters, and here's some good upside and good guidance. Uh, and this is really a very simple. It's a very simple investment thesis. Labor is normalizing. More labor, more more patience, more patience, more money, more margin. Right? Like it's it's not that hard. And everybody's going to stand around and say, oh, look how smart we are. Look how good our business model is. Look how great operators we are. And it's like, eh, you know, I don't know. Like that, outside the four walls, things look pretty good and, and you're just benefiting. So there's that. But yeah, but life stance, put that in your pipe and smoke it. That was, uh, that's the most interesting <laughs> thing I got, I got going on today. Well, I, it, the UHS is like a, a history of our lives in the hedge fund business. It's like, don't you know? I mean, yeah. Don't you know that it was signaling bullish trade and trend into the into the print, you idiot? I mean, super strong. And, but you know, if Captain Fundamental that's retiring at, at Hedge Fund ABC in the last since the pandemic, they don't speak our language on that and they hate it. Right. Because it retired them. But believe me, I got hired at Carlisle because I was really good at picking stocks. Tom could show could, can audit my book within the book at Dawson. You know, one year I was up 81 percent. Okay. Uh, I didn't just like come out of nowhere. I mean, well, I did out of Thunder Bay, Ontario, parts unknown, but I could pick stocks. Right? And oh, could I tell you a story about stocks if I pick stocks? Right. But then I realized that that game was changing. So I changed. So think about it. I'm not calling you an idiot if you're the person at home now running a family office because you can't run a hedge fund, but I am calling you an idiot because you're way smarter than me, but you're dumber because you won't change what you do. Right. That's what the definition of dumb in Thunder Bay, Ontario. If you step in a pile of bear shit and then the next day you walk to the same place and step in it again, I don't care what your IQ is. You're fucking dumb, right? You got to You got to get to a place where you change. Okay. Uh, Emily, that's a little aggressive, but you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a thing in Thunder Bay. You could step in that stuff. <laughs> oh my God. That was a great lead in. Uh, <laughs> So, so the XBI, as you pointed out last night, closed o over 100, uh, mostly on the strength of Viking Therapeutics. Uh, squeeze, that, was a, that was a nice squeeze right there. Oh, my um, Lord. 
So here, 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 I'm, I'm a really smart hedge fund guy. I'm short Viking and I'm long Novo and Lily because I do long short neutral. Well, that's nice. I mean, Novo and, and, and uh, Lily went down yesterday and Viking was up 122% on the day. Yeah, and they, that doesn't happen they're... unless the fundamentalists are on the wrong side of the trade. I mean, that's a crazy move. Right, right. I mean, and their their readout was was pretty positive on you know efficacy and safety and tolerability uh, and all the things you would like to see uh, that you aren't seeing in a lot of GLP one uh, and, and other anti obesity medicines. So it was a it was a good a good result, and they deserve uh, accolades uh, for that. That doesn't mean that the problems of the biotech sector and XBI are are over. Um, you, you know, a lot of what a lot of what's happened has happened because uh, you know a lot of the performance this year has been because of the expectation as far as the interest rate environment goes. Um, because the the problems that remain for the sector are largely funding um, and cost of capital. Of course, is one of those problems and. And and that you know the funding that occurs from the private sector, uh, from the large pharmaceutical companies that that matters. But its other big problem is it gets a ton of money from the federal government, you know. And if you look at the employment, you chart employment next to NIH funding, it got the same curve. Um, and that funding is 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 having uh, is stressed, shall we say. Uh, given everything that's going on in Washington with respect to the budget, and then, and then you have the political environment uh, with respect to you know international uh, cooperation that is is also putting a damper on it. So, um, so you know, kudos to Viking, um, but let's not let's not get too carried away here. I think there's also still a decent amount of M and A to go because there are there you know there's there's some good product out there, and these big biotech companies. Big biopharma, that's all they got right now is is to to buy the pipeline that that is going to produce um, produce the best results. So um, and I'm sure Viking gets taken out for that reason, as long as their data holds up. But um, do you have any questions on that? Because I have one more thing. No, we got to keep rolling. But again, it's a very good example. So far this morning, I mean, we're only, uh, you know, we're only not even at 830 and there are some very good examples of the flow of the machine, the behavioral components, hedge funds covering, things that you never hear on old wall TV because none of them ever analyzed the company for real, never mind traded it within a hedge fund book. So lots going on. Uh, biotech, uh, squarely uh, the example of that. But what else you got? Just one moment. No, Wall Street Journal reported yesterday that United Health Group uh, was under investigation for antitrust practices by the Federal Trade Commission. I'm sorry, by the Department of Justice. This and Paul, I'm sure, will follow us. But uh, this is the, the this is a concern I've had about this name for a while. Specifically, are they acquiring doc practices by making life so miserable for the doctors with respect to administrative burden? That they see only one other one way out, and that is to to be acquired by by Optum, uh, the UNH group. Uh, and there's some other issues I think that might be there, but uh, we'll see how it shapes up. But it, it is the risk for United Health Group, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. Stein Bomber, you and I are going to revive the stock picking. We we're all good. We're all we're in a revival. You know, if, if people can't tell, phase two of Hedge I started in July of last year. Uh, we have a bunch of new products that are going to perpetuate the success. And um, 
we're going to fail a lot too. So get ready for those. Um, you know, we've, that's, uh, it's actually the quote of the day, isn't it? Uh, Steiner from Bill Walsh. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, the Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data-driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. Yeah, yeah, well, there's... uh... I don't think there's a more humbling industry than uh, than ours. <laughs> yeah, it's usually when you when you feel you know awfully confident that um, that the market tends to uh, give you an education. Um, what a, well, I mean, it's a great. Uh, it's one of the. I said yesterday, my dream is to expose all the frauds like more publicly through this channel, but. What a, what a great opportunity, right, to educate people through all the mistakes that people make in this business, as opposed to watching the you know, poppycock bullshit on CNBC where everybody's winning every single day. I mean, you're not going to learn the game that way. You're going to learn the game by every – nobody's made more public mistakes as a hedge fund manager that has showed every position than me in the history of the industry by a lot, okay? So we're going to learn a lot about these things, and, and Steiner and I will have some good stock picks and bad stock picks. And it's the bad ones where we learn, you know, the good ones we expected to win. Yeah, I would say um, just obviously because it's moving uh, so much, I would just say, you know, it's interesting on uh, Bitcoin, basically what you've got going on here in the short term is this sort of, you know, I guess you could sort of describe it as the machine. It's this reflexive loop uh, where everybody is chattering about these daily inflows into these spot ETFs, which the the numbers, you know, they get reported daily. And so the numbers are actually very significant. I mean, you're talking about north of half a billion dollars a day uh, net flowing into, you know, these various uh, spot ETFs, even adjusting for uh, grayscale outflows. And if you think about the creation rate of Bitcoin, which is you know, six and a quarter uh, new blocks or, or new Bitcoin per block mine, which works out to 900 new coins a day, which at 50,000 is, you know, roughly 45 million in new creation a day. And you've got, you know, north of 500 million in net inflow. That's how you sort of get there. And, and then what ends up becoming this reflexive loop is that the market looks at those inflows, does the math on, on that creation rate, and then sort of keeps dogpiling. And so, it becomes this sort of short-term engine that keeps feeding itself. At least that's kind of the, the narrative overlay. So anyway, anybody kind of curious as to why uh, it's been sort of moving the way it's been moving over the last, you know, a uh, couple of days, a uh, couple of weeks, uh, that's sort of at the heart of it. But um, that wasn't really my, my plan to focus on that today. Uh, I was going to talk instead about uh, a couple of earnings reports we got last night, one of which is a small cap in the housing sector, Redfin, ticker RDFN. Uh, Redfin has been a long-term 
short uh, idea that I've had on, and it really gets to sort of the heart of, you know, what is this company actually uh, worth over a long period of time? Um, and, you know, the root problem there is that uh, they're, you know, relatively small in terms of their market share. And um, there's a lot of premium built in uh, to the valuation of the company around expectations that they'll gain a lot of share, like, you know, you know, 7x their share over time. Uh, but instead, their share keeps shrinking. So uh, this quarter, they reported that their market share dropped to 72 basis points. Uh, that's down six basis points quarter over quarter. And in the last 18 months, uh, they've dropped about 11 basis points of share. They've fallen from 83 to 72 basis points of market share. Uh, the, the problem is that, you know, we know uh, from public comps, companies like Remax, companies like, uh, you know, uh, House Anywhere, which is the old uh, Realogy, that a point of market share uh, isn't worth very much. Uh, you know, those companies are facing a different set of challenges now vis-a-vis uh, -vis this big lawsuit over whether uh, there's uh, basically antitrust dynamics within the NAR itself. And these companies have been named in numerous class action lawsuits, uh, but they are trading at, you know, below, uh, you know, at or below $50 million per point of market share. And Redfin is trading at $800 million uh, with less than a point of market share. So therein lies sort of the, the, the basic fundamental challenge um, is, you know, how do they overcome that? And then I would say uh, the quarter itself uh, wasn't great. Uh, they missed and then they issued guidance. That was uh, a disappointment as well. Obviously, uh, the numbers we got this morning on MBA uh, were down. The purchase app series down 4.5% week over week, uh, but zooming out a little bit down about 15% from December levels. That, of course, is a reflection of the move in the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Uh, up from 6.6 .6 to 6.9, uh, albeit still down from the peak of 7.8 in October. But uh, what matters is what's happened more recently, and that's an upward move of 30 basis points. Uh, the refi index has also slowed uh, about 7.5% week over week uh, and down about 10% from December levels. So bigger picture here with Redfin um, is that you know, eventually, uh, when rates do come down, obviously, the existing home market will benefit. Volumes are likely to pick up because you will unlock supply that's basically tucked away on the sidelines because nobody wants to go from a 3% or 4% mortgage to a 6 or 7% mortgage. Uh, that will unlock itself over time. But uh, so long as the, um, the yield trend uh, at the long end is bullish, uh, which it remains, uh, that is going to be uh, an event for another day. So uh, no change still in my uh, fundamental bearish view there on, on, on Redfin. Uh, and then finally, on um, on the Canadian bank side, we continue to get numbers there. Uh, just looking at Royal, the Royal Bank, uh, you know, earnings are down year over year, as we saw with the other banks yesterday, down about 6%. Uh, they did come in a few cents ahead of expectations on their adjusted number. Uh, bigger picture provisions uh, came in above expectations, as did operating expenses. Um, the credit deterioration that's been sort of the cornerstone of our bearish Canadian uh, bank and real estate view for quite a while uh, continues. Uh, the country at large is largely in a balance sheet recession. And that the root of that is really the fact that uh, the Canadian housing finance structure it's just fundamentally different than that of the U.S. The U.S. is long-term fixed predominantly 
In Canada, it's essentially intermediate term fixed. Most Canadian mortgages have a fixed term anywhere from one to five years. And so each day that goes by, uh, you basically sort of uh, capture, if you will, uh, an incremental, you know, small but incremental percentage of people who are coming up for these resets and renewals. Uh, and so on the margin, that continues to uh, put pressure there. And our inflation outlook in Canada uh, remains in the high twos, low threes looking ahead. So that, too, is going to keep a box around the Bank of Canada uh, and constrain their ability to cut rates. So ultimately, uh, that's going to keep the pressure on for longer. So uh, it's still no change in our bearish view there on Canadian banks. That's it. Good. Lots there. Uh, again, uh, one of the main goals of, of the call is to, again, be the truth tellers about names where the CNBCs of the world, Bloomberg's, will never reveal the Redfins. Are you kidding me? They called it a technology company. I mean, the, the, these companies are pump and dump schemes to, to a large degree, their narratives and their job and, and executives that rich selling you stock. Okay. So never forget that ever. Right. And, and I get it. If you can't afford the call and you have to watch something, uh, I get that. I do. But that doesn't mean that it's, it's the right thing to be paying attention to in terms of believing. All right. Um, thanks. No Rob today, no Jay today. So I caught up on time a little bit. Um, I don't see Freebird either. Is it just you, Zegers? Friedman or Zegers, you guys on? Yeah, uh, Billy's coming. He uh, he thought he had a couple more minutes there. He just ran into login in the <laughs> studio there. Hey, Keith. Sorry, I didn't realize there was no Jano Rob today. I was a little – had to move over here to the, uh, the studio, well, but uh, – Well, all you analysts have to realize that it's 835, right? So we're, we're, we have a new energy analyst joining us. You guys are going to be very mindful when the clock's running out, you know, that there's still other people after you. So we got to be on, I, I'll, I'll, we're going to have a meeting about this and that just obviously has nothing to do with you today, but um, yeah, we're, we have to be like, I'll, I'll, I'll run the call. I know where the time is. I know where the clock is, but um, at eight thirty-five, we only really have 10 minutes left. Right. Um, so you guys have anything or. Yeah, we, we had TKL out, out last night. Uh, we have a note coming out later this morning. Um, the stock was down off of the print uh, because they, they gave a, a pretty weak guide uh, for year 2024 uh, with revenue and EBITDA uh, implying a revenue slowdown uh, for the full year 2024 print 23 uh, and EBITDA implying a little bit of margin compression. Uh, we had to wait an hour until a call started to get clarity on that guide. And when that clarity came out, uh, it turns out that they, uh, they excluded uh, an entire quarter's worth of revenue from WWE Raw's distribution deal because of a nuance with the deal timing-wise where the WWE deal right now on uh, USA Network with Comcast ends in September, September 30th, and the new deal with uh, Netflix does not start until January 1st, 2025. So there's an entire quarter where they still have to sign a temporary you know, bridge deal, if you will, uh, for WWE Raw. Uh, and they, you know, in their guide, they didn't want to include or assume any numbers for that. Um, the going back to the numbers, uh, the run rate, uh, the run rate revenue for that is about $75 million. Um, and in our note that we're going to send out uh, this morning, uh, we, we clarify that if you add back that $75 million, uh, as long, along with a, a one-time $20 million um, adjustment for um, 
uh, some nuances in the UFC's fight calendar for 2024. Uh, the revenue and adjusted EBITDA actually looks much better. So uh, all that will come out in the note. I'll leave it at that uh, for timing. But uh, WWE, or TKO was better than uh, the stock uh, price reaction. And um, we have more thoughts coming soon. Good. That's tight, man. You get right in the seat. That's why we hire Sam. People are tough on us because we hire hockey players. But um, give us a break. I mean, look, the guy just popped in the seat there and just delivered the wood. I mean, that was awesome. And he and of all the, I've been doing this for a quarter century now, which is really kind of sad and embarrassing, Billy. To be like aging myself. We we're talking about the hair thing yesterday in the office. I mean, it's just getting. I'm just getting old. But uh, the word, the word EBITDA, like I've heard many pronunciations of that. You and I share the hockey pronunciation of that okay so for those of you that say EBITDA that personally annoys me um but there are a lot of different EBITDA some people like roll it um so anyway uh it's just something just something something completely useless by the way um Balchi, how do you say it how do you say the 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 cash flow acronym it's, it's EBITDA EBITDA is that how a guy from Chicago says it? I guess, I guess so. I guess that's just the Midwest accent in me. Um, <laughs> I, haven't, I, I haven't heard. I've heard EBITDA. Okay, EBITDA. I like EBITDA. That. That's, okay. <laughs> All right. So on the software front, though, Workday reported er- earnings earlier this week, and this is a name that we started to become more positive on after doing the work for ServiceNow, and it's a name that dominates the human capital management space and software. And so in the earnings report for Q4, revenues grew 16.7% year over year, which beat both the street and guidance. Um, the company guided uh, guidance indicated that revenues will reaccelerate to 17.1% year over year. Uh, subscription revenues grew 17.7% year over year, which continues to decelerate, but professional services revenue uh, re-accelerated to 7.4% year over year, which compares to 4.7% in the previous quarter. Billings grew 16.2% year over year, which was slightly below street estimates. Um, the company did buy back over $400 million of stock for the year. Um and it wouldn't be a software earnings report if AI wasn't mentioned. And they announced that they're acquiring a hired score, which is an AI powered talent software company. Um, the stock was down slightly on the report, but there were no major red flags and definitely a name that we're going to do some more work on here to finish out the quarter. Positively inclined. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the signal on that's bullish, by the way. Um, we'll be in touch on all these names that they're, these guys are rolling it up. And again, it takes no takes no work to be drawdown. Josh Brown commenting on software, cloud, you know, security, no work, right? Just 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 big brains, right? For us, we have to build the models. Okay, we have to do the real work. And there's a entirely different league to be in when you're doing that. Uh, doesn't mean you're going to be more right. Uh, doesn't mean you're going to be more wrong. But it, it's a it's a level of quality uh, assurance in the research that we uh, take pride in, as do the world's greatest investors um, that earn many of your fees. All right. Um, Felix. Uh, let me mention coupon, the ticker is CPNG. It's a South Korean e-commerce giant that I cover. Uh, it's on my watch list. It beat earnings estimates last night on revenues and EBITDA and saw decent gains on customer growth and per customer spend. I pay attention to, th- to this name because it's being attacked by Chinese competitors like Timu and AliExpress. The founder and CEO, Bum Kim, kind of disregarded the question when asked on the conference call last night. 
on Chinese competition. Instead, he points to Coupon only capturing a single digit share of the uh, so-called $560 billion TAM opportunity in the retail market in Korea for the next few years. But there's no doubt in my mind that the Chinese guys are making traction in Korea. It's only a matter of time whether they feel the impact or not. But the bigger question is, is the market big enough to accommodate everyone there in Korea? Uh, keep in mind on this one. That's it for me. Is that is that listed in the U.S., that ticker, or is that the South Korean exchange ticker? <laughs> uh, it's listed in the U.S., CPNG. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday, but we got we added to our relatively new – you know, being long small caps, growth, not value. Um, IWO was a great position yesterday in macro. We recently added South Korea, uh, Felix, because we have them going into quad one and two for the next year. Um, so South Korean longs, I am, uh, my ears perk up a little bit. I hear you better when I, when I see that. So then I just need the ticker. And then if it says bullish trade and trend, I'm really listening. Right? I'm listening. There's a difference between listening and implementing, okay? Uh, implementing ideas that have all the above, the top-down macro setup, long South Korea, long trade trend signal, long analyst view, that is good, okay? Um, those are the highest quality longs right there. Uh, and it, again, it's not about conviction, it's about taking all the components that would move an equity in this day and age of the machine uh, that matter, all right? Uh, Paul, I think you gassed like most of your time for the week yesterday, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay oh and i like the bill walsh quote this morning that's a good one that's a, <laughs> you know um i, I he had a, a really important strategy which was in every game to try to score more points than the other team very core strategy <laughs> and unfortunately kyle shanahan the current coach doesn't necessarily follow that strategy um maybe next season we'll see um the um news flowed this morning is that um, they're having last rights meetings at the Justice Department. That's when, um, whether it's a merger that's going to be challenged or whether it's a monopolization case that's going to come, you know, the company executives come in and they talk to the DOJ and say, you know, is there any way to avoid a lawsuit? And they apparently have had that meeting with Apple in the last week. That's what the uh, reporting is. Um, it's been rumored for a while that they'll bring in antitrust case, uh, monopolization case against Apple. Um, and if they do it, just... You know, and basically it would be that the way they operate the ecosystem, the software, the hardware, it makes it difficult for others to to get onto the platform and offer innovative services on that platform. Um, and uh, it's not that different from the whole Microsoft case back in the 90s. Um, but nonetheless, uh, if this happens, remember that this is the kind of thing that to litigate, you're probably talking about going to trial if they do it like in 2027. And um, the next administration would be the one that takes the baton and pursues the case. And you also have Digital Markets Act enforcement and all this kind of stuff happening in Europe. So it'd be interesting to see how everything evolves. But it's one of these things where if it happens, it, 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 it's, it's a catalyst and it makes a lot of news. If it happens, they're talking about before the end of March, um, if they file. But um, these things tend to you know, take a long time to play out. And a lot of things happening in between, as it is like the Amazon case. I think they're talking late 2026 on that one. And the FTC filed that just a few months ago. So, um, but watch for that. We may have some news flow on that in the next few weeks. So that's it. Good, tight. Just like Bill Walsh's routes.
Yeah. Man, one of, one of the best books I've ever read, even though I'm talking to a Steelers fan. Good morning, JT. Good morning, Keith. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I'll, tr I'll try to make this quick because I, I feel like it's, you know, what is February 2nd, Groundhog Day? Uh, I feel like this, we're already at the end of February. It's still Groundhog Day. Um, there, There's this talk of an intense meeting at the White I don't know what would be so intense about a meeting at the White House yesterday because it's the same outcome. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're out of this. There's still no agreement. They're moving toward an agreement. I do think some of the pressure is off right now, at least on the government spending side uh, in the short term. Uh, so once again, uh, we have a deadline on Friday and Saturday, and I think we'll probably push that to March. I think the thought is to push that to March 8th, those first four bills, and then take the other eight bills. This is so confusing, man. And push the other eight to March 22nd. And so, again, just sort of uh, moving the goalposts once again on this thing and trying to finally get to, you know, this is all about what we call policy writers. The numbers are set, but they're trying to add on both sides are trying to add on policy writers, which really aren't germane to the underlying appropriations bills. And and at, at some point, once both sides are going to have to give up that fight and just shake hands and move on. And, and be done with this again. We're five months into it. So it looks as if we're not quite moving to a shutdown right now. I'd say the chances are lessened over the past 24 hours. We're still not there. Uh, they still have two days to do this. Um, and again, as I said yesterday, Johnson holds all the cards where they don't have an agreement yet is on the foreign aid supplemental. Johnson was much more committal about trying to avoid a government shutdown where he wasn't committal was in moving forward the Ukraine, Taiwan, Israel bill. It wants to do something on the border before they can do that. So I think the next, really the, a lot of this is going to play out here today. Now that Congress is, now that both houses are back and tomorrow, and I'll have a better feel probably midday tomorrow of where this is headed. Yeah, there, there should be, on at least on the topic of the deficit itself, I mean, I get that your point is it's kicking of the can, and that there should be some intensity associated with that. I mean, somebody in America, put up your hand, get your congressman or any of these yo-yos to, to, when they do have a meeting, get intense about it. I mean, the the, the deficit, JT, is going from $1.7 yeah. to $2 trillion. Yeah, right? I mean, not just... And, it, not just it, it should be, you know, I, I don't know if I said this on the call before, but and I, I was talking to some health staffers about this, but this needs to be a part of every congressional campaign. So if you're going to be doing these town hall meetings, if you're going to be debating your opponent, whether it's a House seat or a Senate seat or, God forbid, the presidential, make sure the debt and deficit is one of the questions. What how do you intend to address the debt and the deficit. It should be part of the of, of any questioning uh, throughout the campaign season from here on in and see how they respond. At one point in time, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, they used to sign, the, and I thought they were goofy, but they used to have these pledges about, there was a no new tax pledge and a, uh, um, God, there's another one, but th there, there should be a pledge for all intents and purposes forced on candidates say that, you know, one of the things we will talk about, one of the things we will address in the 119th Congress uh, in, in 2025 
is the debt and the deficit. Press them. Press them at town hall meetings. Press them at every job. In the grocery store, My one of the Congress people I, I worked for would go to the grocery store. That's how she would uh, gauge sentiment in her district. And, uh, uh, you know, corner your member of Congress in the grocery store and, uh, uh, and, and, and buttonhole them and ask them what they're going to do about the debt and deficit. It, it should be a part of how we're engaging our elected officials every time we get in front of them. In the grocery store, you see the inflation. Milk prices are up 13% in the last month. In the grocery store, the thing that creates the inflation is debt and deficit spending. We've done extensive work on that, okay? But the problem is, and the sad and pathetic reality is that this election's not gonna be about those things or the future Hmm. or or America. It's gonna, it's, it's all about individuals, their insecurities, their hate for the other team or the other person, the other party. It's not about that. Both parties have built these deficits and debts. They're both complicit. There's no solution. It's 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 the fourth turning. It's what we thought it was. So uh, on to the next play. Good luck, by the way, to the Brunswick boys today in the Elite Eight of prep school hockey. will be playing a home game, playoff game, knockout game against Salisbury. Don't forget to check out HedgeEye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at HedgeEye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by HedgeEye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. HedgeEye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of HedgeEye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the contents. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by HedgeEye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.